is it possible to know the scriptures and to miss the plainest and most important lessons within them? Yes, it is. The spiritual leaders of Israel in Jesus' day knew their scriptures well, yet they missed the one who was the theme of all that was written within them. Welcome everyone to this good day that God has made. I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. Let me encourage you to learn more about the work we're doing all around the world. Just this week, we received another report of over 100 new disciples of Christ rising out of 13 small villages in India. You can learn more about our work and how you can support it by going to traincpe.org or to learn about our missions fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus, a leader in Israel, came to Jesus to seek an answer for a nagging question in his heart. How could he know that he would be received in God's kingdom? Jesus told Nicodemus he was surprised that a teacher of his renown didn't know the answer to that question. And so today we ask, what should Nicodemus have known? John 3, 1-10 There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. That means he was one of the 70 in the Sanhedrin that spiritually gave rule over the nation of Israel. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I think the Lord Jesus, knowing what was in all men's hearts, knew the thing that was really ticking away in Nicodemus' heart, the very thing that he had come to inquire about. He was insecure about his entry into the kingdom of God, even though he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Some individuals have said that Nicodemus mistakenly takes the words of the Lord Jesus, which do not need to be taken literally, and takes them literally. And I think that's impossible. I think there's, it's impossible that Nicodemus would think that Lord Jesus was speaking literally in this way. And essence Nicodemus is saying how can this be possible for me I'm so old is there any hope for me at my age that there might be a rebirth in my life I think that's what Nicodemus is asking actually Jesus answered and said to him most assuredly I say to you unless one is born of water in the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God that which is born of flesh is flesh And that which is born of the Spirit of Spirit. Uh, Nicodemus, you cannot produce this new birth by a fleshly activity. You can't bring to yourself into the life of the new birth by just calling upon your fleshly powers, which, by the way, is what the Pharisees were really good at doing. They knew all the laws. They knew all the rules. They had it in their minds. They determined to set their will and their action to it, to perform it. And he's saying, you can't bring it about that way. And then he goes on to say this to him. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Well, let's pause here. Instead of going to the passage here in John chapter 3, is a familiar passage on the necessity of the new birth, being born again, on the doctrine of regeneration. But let's just pause here as we're looking at the passage. And, and let's look at something that's oftentimes passed over in the text. The Lord Jesus 
refers to Nicodemus as the teacher in Israel. In other words, the idea here is that Nicodemus is not simply a teacher in Israel, but his reputation and his renown is such that he is respected by the individuals in Israel at that time, not only as a leader in the Sanhedrin, but as an expert or the expert in the sacred scriptures, the teacher that people refer to and go to for instruction. And that's no small statement. And Christ expresses concern that the teacher in Israel doesn't know about the necessity of the regeneration. The implication here is, Nicodemus, you're the one who knows our scriptures and you don't know that you need to be born again? And you don't know the means by which God brings new birth to you? You should know these things. You're the teacher. And he doesn't know these things. And so... The Lord Jesus has made it very plain to Nicodemus that this regeneration is not just a novel idea and it's not just something that he's introducing for the first time, but that it's a central and foundational idea and that it's central for the capacity or ability of an individual to see the kingdom of God and to enter into the kingdom of God, to have a spiritual view and understanding of how God works in people's lives. How can you teach others about the spiritual wealth of God's scripture and not know the spiritual principle that allows people to have spiritual insight into ways in the kingdom of God. How can you do that? And how can you ever have hope of entering into the kingdom when you don't know this central and basic idea of regeneration? You should know these things, is what the Lord Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus doesn't push back on this. He accepts this, in a sense, rebuke from the Lord Jesus. This necessity of being made new and having a new heart in order into God's kingdom, the Lord Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, is something that you should know from the scriptures that God has given you. So let's, let's let this be our consideration this morning. What should Nicodemus have known? What should Nicodemus have known that he didn't know from the Old Testament that would teach him about this wonderful truth of regeneration? And here's the first thing that we're going to want to notice here. Nicodemus should have known that the Jewish faith was a religion of the heart. The Christian faith and the Jewish faith as God intended them are to be religions, are to be a faith that rises from, is driven from, and is generated out of the heart of the individual. A heart fully given to love and please and honor and glorify God. It's a faith and a religion that rises out of a passion for God. Take your Bibles and go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. I want to read to you verse 12. And then keep a pinky or a thumb or one of your fingers in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, because we'll be looking at a couple different passages there. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Moses is communicating God's will and God's purpose and God's design for the nation of Israel. He is declaring to them, he's restated a covenant that God has made with Israel. A covenant to bless Abraham and to bless all of his children through Abraham. And it's a covenant to receive, but it's a covenant to receive if they, in a sense, comply to certain conditions. It's unconditional in this sense. God's never going to take away the extension of this promise. It will be realized at some day among the nation of Israel. But at the same time, they can't receive and realize it unless they adhere to certain conditions. And and here are the conditions. Now Israel, he writes, and now Israel, what does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him 
and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. There is the, there is the bottom floor, you might say. There is the foundational position from which their faith and their religion is to rise. It's from a love for God with all of their heart and with all of their soul. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, now go over to Deuteronomy chapter 30. God will anticipate the disobedience of the nation of Israel. And as a result of that disobedience and their failure to comply with what it is God is asking for them, God will anticipate that they are going to be banished from the land that he's bringing them into. They're about ready to go into the promised land and already God is speaking to them through Moses because God knows that they're not going to fulfill what it is God wants them to do in order to be blessed in that land. In order, in a sense, to be the recipients of the promises that God had made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Moses here and had reiterated to the nation, he knows they're not going to be able to comply to it. And so they're going to be driven out from the land. And he tells them of a time in which they'll be brought back into that land. But what's required of them in order to come back in the land and flourish? In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 3. Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, that is the curses because they fail to follow God, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you. This is, they haven't followed God's will. They haven't followed God's demands. They haven't followed God's commands, and they've been driven out from their land and from the place of blessing. And you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I commanded you today. You and your children... With all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you. What will bring us back? What will bring us out of God's judgment into God's blessing? You have to return to me with all your heart and with all your soul. Again, I'm just pointing out to you that when God put together the people of Israel and he gave them a direction and he laid before them the faith that they were to follow and live in, it was a faith that was a heart faith. It was something that was a reflection of this deep heart commitment of soul and all their heart to love God and to, out of that love, want to please Him and honor Him. When God gave promises to Abraham to bless him and his descendants and through them to bless all the inhabitants of the earth, God enumerated a number of the different blessings they would receive. He promised to make Abraham great and to make from him a great nation. And he promised through him to bless all the nations of the earth. He promised that in those that would come from him, that a large nation that would form, that would extend, have an extensive boundary of land that they would be able to inhabit. He promised to carry on this grant that he was giving to Abraham, not only to him, but to all of his descendants. In other words, what God was pledging here was God was pledging to Abraham and through Abraham to his posterity a sustaining, ongoing expression of blessing that would be upon his descendants forever and ever and ever in perpetuity. This was the gift that God swore to Abraham and through Abraham to all the people of Israel. And it was, in this sense, unconditional. There's actually a word for it. It's called a grant covenant. A grant covenant was where a master gave a promise, a covenant to his servant, maybe provided a portion of land for his servant, but there was a way in which the servant might not be able to enter into that land. If the servant was disobedient to the master and didn't fulfill his role as a good servant, the master could actually have him thrown into prison. The master actually could have him executed. But because he gave this grant covenant, what it meant was that the servant's children, his posterity, would still have that land. They'd still be able to occupy it. It still would be extended to them. And so God has given a grant covenant to Abraham that he can realize, but even if there's disobedience through him and through his those who come after him, they will not be able to experience that blessing, but the blessing will still be extended from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. 
the ability to experience that blessing was based upon their response to God to walk before him and obey him. So Genesis 17.1, here's what God commanded Abraham. He says, walk before me and be blameless. Genesis 18.19, the Lord declares that he's chosen Abraham, and then he says this, in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he's spoken about him. The blessing was granted unconditionally, as we've said, but the enjoyment of those blessings was conditionally realized and experienced only through an obedience to God. And the people would not happily experience this rich blessing of God or sustain themselves in it unless they obeyed Him and lived in that obedience. And if they didn't live in that obedience, they would actually be judged and they would experience difficulty and challenges. And now we know the story. They struggled with that. They struggled at meeting those challenges. The point here is that this life that they were to live, this obedience they were to follow in, was to rise out of their hearts, was to rise out of the way they, they lived. This obedience was not possible, that God was calling for. It was not possible unless it rose consistently and steadily from a heart that loved God and desired after the things of God and the will of God. The moral commands that God has given us and the moral commands that God gave to the people of Israel were simply instructions on how to direct their love for God in a way that followed after and expressed that love. It wasn't God saying, here, do this and this. It wasn't arbitrary. It was based upon God's own nature and God's character. And God said, listen, out of your love for me, here is how you want to live. Here are the things that please me and will delight me. And as you please and delight me, I'll be able to unleash upon you more and more of myself, more knowledge of who I am and more of my blessings and more of my rich reward upon your life. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.